Good morning, ladies. We are going to go ahead and get started. So good to see you all this morning and a special welcome to our more seasoned moms. Thank you guys for joining us or ladies. You don't have to have children to be here, Um, but we are all in for such a treat with our friend Kari talking to us today, um, just giving us hope in this crazy time. Before Kari starts, I'm going to go ahead and introduce a friend. So here at River West Church and Woven Together, we really value serving our community. And personally, I was just actually talking to Allie and telling her when I first started Sprouts, my son was six months old and she talked at Sprouts about the same thing she's going to talk about today. And I thought what an awesome opportunity to teach my son from a really young age about giving back. I know this is such a materialistic world and kids, I mean, hello, mine is at the top of the list of wanting. And with Halloween, we just want candy every second of the day. And at Christmas, we just want everything for ourselves. And so what a fun way to teach him about giving back to other kids in our community. So Allie started an organization called With Love. And I I'm sure many of you have heard about it, but they um, collect donations from the community. I've been in the warehouse and it is so impressive. Um, just the the generosity that they receive from not just right here locally, but just with different corporations and companies they've had relationships with and local families. And then they um, answer the call. So when a foster child goes into a home and that family may not have the specific size of clothing the child would need or a toy or something, anything like that, with love comes to the rescue. So I'm not going to steal Allie's thunder and tell you anymore, but it's just such an amazing organization and they are having their Christmas stocking stuffer drive. So that's why Allie's here to tell us about that. And we hope that you guys all um, enjoy hearing from her. So Allie. Good morning. I was in your shoes quite a few of you. Um, I have an 11-year-old and a 7-year-old, and so I loved coming to Sprouts here. Since then, I've had 11 kids in four years. Um, My husband and I work with drug-affected infants, so that's sort of our little niche that are in our home right now. When River West years ago said, we want to support kids in foster care, what does that look like? There really wasn't really a roadmap at that point. So With Love was born out of River West's idea of let's serve these kids. So Stacey makes it sound really beautiful and glamorous about With Love. No, I was a hoarder. Um, It started in Westlake and I was a hoarder. I said, let's try this out. What is this going to look like? And so eight years ago, With Love was born. And now we're at a facility that's 6,500 square feet. So when you walk in now and you're like, wow, Allie started this. No, I was a hoarder in my house. Let's just make sure we all understand where this began. So last year, COVID was hard. And we have been able to look at some of the numbers um, that the data will books have out right now. And there are 3,000 kids that were not in foster care last year that were in before, meaning that we went from 12,000 kids a year to 9,000. So there's two ways of looking at that. You can say, wow, DHS is doing a great job. They're keeping kids at home. That is true. That also means eyes aren't on on our kids. And so when looking at the data, the number one thing that has spiked in 2020 is drug and alcohol abuse, and that's why kids are leaving the homes for that. And by the way, like, I drink wine too. I understand it a little bit. Like, it's been a rough year. But if you could imagine these parents, it's hard. You add alcohol and drug abuse to it. These kids are being unseen. So for us, last year, we grew 20% in a pandemic. We served 3,000 kids last year. So this year, we're already up 7% from last year's 20% boost. So it's, it's a lot going on for With Love. And this is where you come in. I have two little ones that are biologically mine, and I get the holidays, and they're thinking about themselves. But this is a time for us to pivot and say, let's talk about these kids that are in our home. Let's talk about these little ones. We had a little girl that joined us at 3.30 on Christmas Eve last year. And my daughter believes in Santa. So she's like, what's Santa going to get this one? And I'm like, oh, gosh, I have no clue what Santa's going to do. Santa just needs some formula. Um, So it's one of those situations where this is where you get to bring your kids into the family and into the mix. Also, you get to say, Let's talk about the why. And it's hard to talk to kids about foster care, by the way. And so what I tell my kids is that these parents um, are sick and need a little bit of help, and they're getting the help they need, and so these kids need to go to a safe spot. You can tell your kids whatever you want to do, but that's sort of the language I use. Um, And then I go from there, you know, with the questions. And so for you, coming in, walking alongside us, we take these items that are going to go in these stockings. Now, 
We actually use pillowcases because you can actually put more in a pillowcase versus little stocking. We get them all custom made for us. And then last year, again, COVID, my board said something beautiful. They said, stockings are great. It's been a really bad year. Let's do something bigger. And so we also want to add a big toy that's about $25 in with your stocking stuffers. So if you go on our website, if you want to learn more, we have a whole season of giving area. And you'll learn more about the stockings if you want to know more about that. Also, if you're like, wait, I work somewhere. I have a book club. You can also adopt Amazon wish lists that are like for 10 kids, for 25 kids, for 50 kids. So if you have other groups of people that want to get more involved, um, also you can do a drive. I was at a drive yesterday. They wanted to do it in person. But we want to make it as comfortable for you as possible. This year, our goal is to serve 600 kids in two weeks. And what we're going to do is send those stockings out to DHS parties. We partner with Foster Parent Night Out. We send them out in our deliveries. And so what we're trying to do is really support these foster families as they are leaning in to support these kids. So we have a quick little video that's going to show you're going to bring your stuff. Um, your next meeting is December 2nd. That's going to be in person here. So when you bring your stuff, what happens next? So we're going to show you a video. It was made in um, 2019. And so a little different time at that point. But you can sort of see what it looks like in the magnitude. Because sometimes you think, I give something. What happened next? So here's the video. And I just want to end saying thank you so much. In the future, if you're ever interested in volunteering on our website, you can go on our calendar. We really believe in people donating to us, but also seeing where your money goes. Don't just say, I gave, that's it. So come get more involved. Not everybody wants to be a foster parent, but I really believe that we as a community can wrap around and make that difference. So I'll show you the video. Thank you so much. Hi, at With Love, we provide kids ages zero to six with tangible goods item and clothing. Now this holiday season's a big time for us. You see, the holidays can be really exciting and fun, but it also can be a little complicated for kids in foster care. So what we do is we are having all of Oregon come together to give a resounding yes that we're gonna support you for the holidays. What that looks like is at With Love, we've got these different bins that different companies, churches, neighborhoods have been collecting stocking stuffers for us for months. What happens is you come read this list, you put all your belongings in here, and you think, okay, so what happens? I donated, what's the next step? Today, we wanna to show you what that looks like. So we've been collecting all these donations all around Portland. We've had volunteer teams in for weeks, sorting these by gender and ages, because we want these stockings to be perfect just for those children. So right here, you'll see we have a lot of the sorted donations that have already come in, and we're having a team come in this afternoon to make over 800 stockings. The exciting thing is for the past four years, the design team has been making things for us to carry these stocking stuffers in. This year, they made a thousand of these pillowcases that we're gonna use to stuff because the kids can use pillowcases all year round. Once they are stuffed, they are gonna be ready to go out to homes today. We had Our Lady of the Lake here in Churchill Mortgage making over 500 of these stockings. They took all the items, they made sure they were beautifully packaged. Today, some of them have already gone out, and this evening, they're gonna be divided up through DHS offices, foster parent night out groups, and deliveries. This evening, they are heading out our door to make Christmas brighter for these kids. One thing that makes this so special is everything you see going on around us is because of the Portland community. It's a Portland community wrapping around children in foster care to ensure that they have a bright holiday season. Without our community partners, this can't happen. inspiring. Thank you so much, Ali, and we're excited to partner with you this Christmas season. On your tables, you have a list of um, some items that, can, that you can bring. You can see that on your tables. So 
grab that. You also have on your table um, a sheet of paper and some pens if you want to take notes this morning. It's my privilege to introduce to you my friend, Kari Patterson. Um, Kari is a soul sister to me and someone I dearly love. Whenever we get together, we're like, oh, we just need the world to stop so we can talk. Kari um, is married to Jeff, and um, they both work and pastor the new church in Oregon City. Jeff is the lead pastor, and Kari works with discipleship ministry with women. She partners with Jeff and all things in that church that she loves so dearly. She has four children, and two are, are elementary school age, right, still? How, Dutch and Heidi? High school? High school. Oh my goodness, they've grown. Yeah, so she's, Dutch and Heidi are, are the olders, and then she has um, Justice and Ben, who are the youngers. And I need to just tell you a, a sweet story. Um, when Kari came to our retreat in 2019, her heart's desire it was to have another baby. And she really felt like, like the Lord was had put it on her heart that he had one more child for her family. She'd just gone through a miscarriage. That was really heartbreaking for her. And um, so I got to pray with her on that retreat. We were just praying that God would bring another, his, his designed next family member into her family. And after the retreat, she found out she was pregnant. And then during the pandemic, she had Benjamin. So, so, so fun to see how God has just done amazing things in her life. Um, so you're going to be blessed this morning to hear from Kari. So Kari, come, share with us this message so that God has put in your heart. You. Oh, thank you. Oh. Oh, thank you. Such a treat. Thank you. Thank you. Can you hear me? Okay. Awesome. Brendan, right? Is that your name back there? Brenton. Brenton. Sorry, Brenton. Thank you for serving us back there. Um, I do love Mary Ann so much, and it is so good to be back with you. We were just reminiscing that... Yeah, it was February 2020 when we had your retreat that I got to join you at and Marianne prayed and found out like two weeks later um, that I was pregnant and then the world shut down, right? I mean, that was it. It was February 2020 and then, oh my goodness, what? We had no idea then, right? We had no idea all that was in store for us. So I am thrilled uh, to be back with you. And I was thinking about, I know not all of us have little kids, but like Marianne said, I have, you know, high schooler, middle school, preschool, and then infant. So uh, Ben was due on election day of 2020, which kind of felt like a bad joke, right? I was like the culmination of the most stressful year to what we all kind of felt like was gonna be the most stressful day. I mean, I was like, people were saying the world was gonna shut down. It was like, everyone was stockpiling goods. Like Costco was out of stuff. And it was like, I'm due that day. So I don't know where I'm gonna have this baby if the world is gonna blow up, but I'm gonna have this baby. And it was so incredibly stressful. I think when I think about being a mom and having kids, I was just talking to Ruth over there and just listing out like all the things I mean, there's so many things, right? Between the pregnancy and all that's going on with that and then newborn and figuring out nursing and figuring out all of the gazillion things. I remember I first had a baby, you know, 15 years ago. And I was like, I had no idea that there were so many contentious issues until I had a baby, you know? It was like, are you gonna do it this way or that way? And, blah, blah, blah. and now, now it's even more, right? So you've got all the things that are normally with having kids and how are you going to do school and how are you going to feed them and how are you going to diaper them and how are you going to, and then you've got marital issues and you've got in-law issues and you've got financial stresses, right? Just all the things. Probably you do some kind of work outside of just being a mom. And then we add on pandemic, right? Like global shutdown, everything changing. We've got a deadly virus that is has killed thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. Then you've got mandates, right? That make life even more stressful on top of that. It has felt like, I mean, I don't know about you. I'm not to start out here with really negative news, but it has felt impossible. The last, it's been 20 months, right? It's felt in many ways impossible. And if I was gonna sum up the last couple years in one word, I would say stress. At least in my world, it has felt like 
Summing it up in one word is stress. And like I said, I was due on election day. And um, right the week before that, I was <laughs> went to Costco and stupidly got some dog food for my housemate, which was like 50 pounds, injured myself. So I like tore everything down here. And so I couldn't walk, couldn't carry my toddler. So I can't walk. I'm about to have a baby. The election is around the corner. And then we had some very, very stressful stuff with our church. Just, I'm, I'm sure every church has had that. Disagreements among the elders about what we should do and what was the right course forward. forward. And I remember feeling like my life was falling apart because these are my closest friendships. And it looked like I was losing my closest friends. It looked like our church was falling apart. It looked like my body was falling apart. And during my pregnancy, one odd thing was I just had this really strong sense that something wasn't going to be right with the baby. And um, many of you have had that become a reality probably, but I don't know what it was, whether it was just, you know, 2020 on the brain or whatever, but I was very convinced. I felt like we needed to be prepared for it to not be okay. And so I struggled with looking forward to having this baby because I honestly, I didn't know whether he was going to survive I didn't know, you know, at the end, they were like, oh, you're measuring really small. You know, every little thing was like, okay, preparing myself for the worst. And remember that week, I ended up being uh, 10 days overdue. Um, And so that last week, I hadn't slept. I was up all night crying because of stuff with our church. I had this migraine that I couldn't get rid of. I couldn't walk. I was like, when the heck is this baby ever gonna come? And I remember one morning texting a friend, this was when I was eight days overdue, and being like, I really think I am actually going insane right now. So if you hear that I did something like really weird, <laughs> I am on the verge of insanity. Like the stress of relationships and this baby and my body and my mom almost died and there's lots of stuff going on with that. But anyway, so she was in the ICU with sepsis and, um, I just felt like I'm gonna go insane. And uh, of course, um, I didn't. I mean, I don't think I did. (laughs) Somewhat in my right mind. Um, But it was a hard year. And I remember thinking at that time, thinking, I don't know, and I've actually never had this thought before, I don't know that I'm ever gonna be myself again. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. We're like, I don't know. If I'm ever gonna be like the joyful, optimistic, faith-filled Kari ever again, that's a, that's a hard place to be, right? Because you go, I don't, I don't know if this is ever, and what is that? It reflects a lack of hope, right? Our hope, just not through this maybe huge thing, but just gets eroded, just gets stripped, right? Our hope. And I just ask you this morning, you may not be in that place, I hope you're not, where you're feeling completely hopeless, but I would ask you this morning that if your cares were visible, what would we see on your shoulders today? Right? If your cares, if you walked in and we could actually see, right, wouldn't that be amazing? If we could see, you know, this marriage issue I've got going on or this conversation I had this morning or I'm not sure if that child is gonna be okay or that relationship that's so strained, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna see her tomorrow and how's it gonna, how is it gonna go? Those things, right? If we could see what they are, it would be a lot simpler. If you could just walk through the doors and we'd be like, oh, you've got that one too, me too, let's pray, right? We were, I was just, when I was just talking to Ruth, she was sharing what was going on in her life and I was like, same. Like exactly the same, like literally the same thing. I was like, we got the same burden on our shoulders. How encouraging would that be? It'd be a little vulnerable, right? If your if your care was like, I really don't want to be here this morning. <laughs> It'd be embarrassing, right, baby? But if they were visible, what would you see? And I just ask you to think about that because sometimes it's like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I come to something like this and it's so easy to like, okay, I'm just gonna set those things aside, and for this moment, I'm just gonna be. I'm not even gonna think about it. I'm just gonna be all here and present and that's great, but those things are still gonna be there when we leave, right? There's, that relationship is still gonna be there. That stress is still gonna be there. That difficulty is still gonna be there. So my hope this morning is that we can ask Jesus and be honest with him and say, here's the thing. 
It's right here on my shoulders and I need to know, what do you want to say to me about this thing? What are we gonna do, Jesus? What do you wanna tell me about this thing? How are you going to give me hope for this thing? And of course, we, are, we know scripture tells us to cast our burden on the Lord. And yes, we do this morning, we cast our burden on him. But again, he may not completely take away that thing this morning. But I do believe my prayer, what I have been praying for you and for me is that this morning, he would give us fresh hope for that thing. That he would give us perspective on that thing. Because again, we're still, it's still the same world out there when we leave this place, but that he would give us fresh hope to return to that thing. And my prayer this morning is that we would hear Jesus saying, onward. Right? We have been in the midst of so much turmoil. And it's, at least for myself, it's so easy to kind of just get stuck in this. Like, man, what a year it's been, huh? I mean, is, how many, have you said that to someone in the last couple of weeks? When you see someone, I mean, what do you say? You just go, it's been a year, huh? I mean, that's just what, because we, how do we go onward? How do we move forward into what God has for us now? I was reading this morning, my quiet time, Hebrews 12, one and two, and it says, you know this verse, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It means that there is something forward in the future, onward that is set before us. And who gets to set the race? Not me. Who gets to decide? Well, I want to do that course, right? I don't know if you've ever done hood to coast, right? And you're like, I want to, I want that leg. No, you just get the leg that you get and you run the race that is set before you. We don't get to change the course. We don't go, I don't I really like that one. It's on gravel. Oh, that one's at night. No, thank you. Oh, I like a little shorter one. No, they're set. And we just run the one that is set before us. And I believe that's what God is calling us to now. We have been called to be alive in this time period and in this city and in this state, whether we like it or not. And so how do we run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who for the joy set before him, he was looking forward as well, right? When we have joy set before us, we have hope. If we have no joy set before us, then why are we running? We're not gonna run unless we have confidence and hope that there is some joy that's gonna be worth it set before us. I've noticed that one of the tricky things about the pandemic, at least um, as I've been talking to people, is that I think a sense of hopelessness also was partly because we didn't really have anything to look forward to. Like I've talked to a lot of people who usually have vacations, you know, three times a year or have these certain holidays or these festivities, or maybe it's graduation or prom or, you know, some of these different things, all of which were like, I don't know if we're going to be able to have that. I don't know if we'll travel again. I don't know if we can have a big group again. I don't know if we can, right? There are all of these unknowns. So we didn't have those regular things to look forward to. And in some ways that's a mercy. It's a gift. Why? Because any, any tendency that I had to set my hope on some little temporal thing was taken away. And so I'm going to have to have a more robust hope. I'm going to have to have a hope that is deeper than just my next vacation. And by the way, I'm all for vacations, right? I'm going to have to have a deeper hope than just it's going to get better in six months. I don't know. We don't know if it will. There's going to have to be something more hope-filled. I also turned 40 in the midst of the pandemic. And I remember thinking, and it was great. I love the 40 so far, better than any before. But um, I had a baby at 40. So I'm like, it's all, it's all good. Um, I remember thinking, like, when I was a kid, I remember, like, my parents going to 40th birthday parties. And they had, like, black balloons. Do you remember? Did anybody else remember this? Yes. Over the hill. And now I look back, I'm like, oh, like over the hill, that's horrible. Like that means it's all downhill from here. Am I understanding that correctly? Right, it means it's down, that is totally void of hope. But I remember feeling that in the midst of this, like, okay, so apparently life is downhill from now, or at least my appearance is downhill from now. That, okay, life is downhill from now. My parents both have chronic illness that I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're not going to get better. My dad's 80, my mom's 76. 
had Parkinson's for 19 years, so okay, they're not going to get better. I'm getting older, the world is going down the toilet. Like, it feels like all my relationships are tanking. It feels like our church is tanking. I mean, it just felt like everything was like Titanic going down. And so without hope, there's no looking onward. So what is hope? Okay, what is hope in the biblical sense? I think one of the things that's tricky about hope is the same reason that love is tricky, right? Like what does love mean? It's totally been warped and diluted in our world. But hope, the way that we usually use the word hope is actually pretty much the opposite of how the Bible uses hope, right? Usually when we use the word hope, we are expressing uncertainty rather than certainty uncertainty rather than certainty. For example, I hope daddy gets home early, right? Means I'm not sure whether he will or not. That's what I want, but I'm not sure. Um, Our hope is that he will arrive safely. Again, it's kind of what I want, but I'm not sure. Uncertainty. Um, Our only hope is if the weather turns out right and we can make it on time. Again, uncertainty. So usually whenever we use the word hope, we are expressing uncertainty. That is the, that is what is going on in our heart and our mind. Similarly, and this is, um, I mentioned this in, in Sacred Monday, and I think most of you got one of these actually last year. Awesome. I brought a few extras if somebody wants one and doesn't have one. Um, but similarly in here, we talk about what is true hope versus, versus the world's hope. And what's even worse than uncertainty is that this is what this says. Sadly, we've watered down this word hope with the phrase, getting our hopes up. We say that, getting our hopes up. We say we're trying not to get our hopes up because the result will be disappointment, right? So often we use the word hope pessimistically. Hope equals disappointment. We don't wanna get our hopes up because that's a surefire way to be disappointed. That's how we use that word. But nothing could be further from the true meaning of hope. Romans 5.5 clearly states, hope does not disappoint. Hope does not disappoint. So if I'm using the word hope, thinking that it's the same as disappointment, and scripture is telling me that hope does not disappoint, I have to get back to biblical hope, right? Biblical hope is what the psalmist spoke of in Psalm 42, where he said, why are you so cast down, oh my soul? Hope in God. Hope in God. Hope is in the purpose, the person, and the promise of God. No matter what setbacks or circumstances slam us in the face, faith-filled expectancy keeps us anchored in the hope of God. So I think in the Bible, this is just a, a suggestion, but I think a good definition of hope would be, hope is the confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Hope is the confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Now, hope, of course, is connected to faith. You can't really separate those. I think that um, faith would be sort of the larger idea and hope, and this is, uh, John Piper talks about this specifically, hope is the part of faith that is forward facing, right? I would say hope is faith in future tense. So hope is faith crying onward, move forward. The race that's set before you, get your eyes ahead. Right? Don't spend all of our time wallowing in what has happened. Fix your eyes forward. Hope is faith in future tense. Hope is faith in future tense. I was uh, talking with some people recently and uh, someone said, remember the good old days? <laughs> I thought, oh, we sound, we sound like we're getting old. But it's true. It is so easy. It's easy for me to look back at 2019 and I just see golden sweetness, right? Remember what it was like when we didn't have, right? And I find myself looking back and remember it says the joy set before us. It doesn't say the joy that was behind us. It doesn't say to fix our eyes on the joy that we used to have when life wasn't so hard. He says to fix our eyes on the joy set before us. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Assurance, if the NIV says the certainty, the certainty of things hoped for, 
right? Again, it's not expressing uncertainty. Hope expresses certainty. Now, uh, you may have noticed that we have supply issues right now, right? I, my daughter needed leggings and I placed an order at Land's End and after three weeks, they still had not processed the order. I'm like, this is crazy. You go to Costco, I'm like, wait, I can't have toilet paper anymore. Like, it's just, there's supply issues going on, right? Lots of supply issues. And I would say more than any other commodity, we have a shortage right now of hope. More than anything else, we have a shortage of hope. And I think this is because we have been glutted with cynicism. Cynicism. Now, cynicism is the inclination to believe the worst about people and the world in general, right? To believe the worst. And that, I don't know, that to me seems like it's our world right now. It's not just, I don't agree with your actions. It's, I don't agree with your actions and I think you have evil motives. Assigning this cynical, narrow-eyed view on everything. Those are the waters that we swim in. And cynicism does not reflect biblical hope. Now, where does cynicism come from? I believe that cynicism comes from our world's secular philosophy, right? That's the world that we're living in, secularism. So we have convinced ourselves in our world, again, I'm not necessarily talking about this room, but to understand what's outside those doors when we go back out into the world, we've convinced ourselves that we can have the good life without God. Right? We don't want God, but we do want all the good stuff that comes from him. Like we want, we want the fruit of the spirit, right? We want joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Of course, the world wants all those things, right? Put those on t-shirts. We totally want those things, but we don't want God. But we want all the stuff that comes from God. At least we don't want the God of the Bible. That's for sure, right? We don't want Jesus because Jesus has this crazy way of saying that he's the only way to God, and he has this crazy thing about making us repent. And he has this really narrow view of what it means to follow him. And so we don't want, in general, the world says, we don't want the God of the Bible, but we want all of the stuff. We still want the fruit of the spirit. But when we cut off the source, eventually we're gonna run out of the goods, right? We shut off the, the factory and we're not gonna get the stuff from the factory anymore. So we cut off God, there's no way that the fruit of the spirit of God is gonna continue flowing to us. So we cut off God and embrace secularism and think we can still have the fruit of the spirit. We're deceived. And the result is this cynicism, right? This lack, cynicism, secularism, excuse me, breeds cynicism because secularism has no transcendent hope. Secularism only has a hope in what we can do as people, right? We'll go out there and just make a difference ourselves. And what have we discovered in the last 20 months? We're gonna make a mess of a lot of things. And cynicism breeds hopelessness. It breeds despair. Now, what cynicism gets right, okay, what cynicism gets right is an understanding of how broken the world is, right? We have seen that. So for those of us um, who maybe had some sort of like uh, Pollyanna type optimism, like it's just gonna be fine. I feel like the last 20 months have probably stripped us of that, right? It, it might not be. We can't just believe that everyone has good intentions in their heart that it's all just gonna work out. So Christians can say to a secular world, to a cynical world, yeah, you know what? You see all those things wrong in the world? I hear you, I agree. There is a lot wrong in the world. We call that sin. And there's the, the problem, right? Because the world wants to get rid of the word sin. We don't want the word sin in any way. Right? We want it all to be relative, just I do me, you do you, and I'm gonna live my truth, you live your truth. And the problem is that it hasn't worked. 
because we're outraged over the wrong that we see. And the fact that we're outraged proves that we think there is some absolute standard of right and wrong. So even though we say we don't want there to be sin, yet in us, there is still that justice meter, if you will. We talked about that at the retreat uh, early 2020, that justice meter that says there are things that are wrong and there are things that are right. So because we don't have the God standard of sin, instead we just go, well, the things that are wrong are the things that those people are doing, right? My team is doing the good stuff. That team is doing the bad stuff. Right? Isn't that our world right now? My team is doing the good stuff. Those people are doing the bad stuff. That's the bad stuff. Whatever those people are doing, but don't call it sin. We'll give it a different name because we don't want to have it be called sin. That's what the world has. That's all the world has. An indictment on the guilty by pointing fingers. And then this hope, if you will, of somehow being good in and of ourselves. And the Bible has a word for that too, right? It's called self-righteousness. So the, the, the world, the secular philosophy has, has judgment and self-righteousness. And it's interesting that that's often what the church is accused of being, right? Judgmental and self-righteousness and self-righteous. And, and perhaps we are, if we are, I hope that we are the first people to repent and to humbly apologize to anyone that we've wronged. Right? Would we be the, the, the quickest to apologize, the quickest to repent? Would Christians be those who are the first to say, you know, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? But judgment and self-righteousness is actually the core doctrine of the secular world because they're making themselves the judge and setting up righteousness in and of themselves. But on the other hand, the Bible gives us a worldview that says, yeah, actually this world is a mess. And you know what? It's even worse than we thought. It's way worse than we thought. It is not just that some people do bad, it's that all people are bad. Right? That's the bad news. That's the black backdrop to the glorious beauty and diamond of the gospel. It's the bad news that it's, it's worse than we thought. Worse than we thought. So Christianity comes and confirms our suspicions that the world is worse. If you're listening going, this is all bad news so far. <laughs> there is good news coming, okay? There is good news coming. Christianity offers the gospel. We can go, yeah, you know what? It's worse than we thought. You're outraged, rightly so. You're a mess, I'm a mess, they're a mess. We try to do good, even the good things that we do, we end up doing wrong. Anybody feel like that this last year? Like, I'm actually just trying to do the right thing and I've somehow offended people. <laughs> it's like, there's just no way to win. There's no way to, to do something that everyone thinks is the right thing. So Christianity offers us true hope. It offers us a solution. It offers us a transcendent hope that is so much deeper and better than anything that we have in and of ourselves. Three quick ways. What does Christianity offer us? Of course, way more than this, but three specific things that I believe are the foundation of our hope, of our robust hope. First of all, in Christianity, God offers us an identity. I, I believe identity is a core thing that is a foundational thing that is going on right now. We don't have to be defined by our marital status or our race or whatever we feel sexually. Like we are not defined by those things. Our identity is that our creator in the beginning, Genesis 1:27, made us in his image. Male and female, he created us in his image, which means that we have been given value, that every person has been given value. No matter what they look like or what they do, we can value them because they are made in the image of God. You take away that truth, then how on earth are you gonna give people value? Of course, you're just gonna get rid of them. You're just gonna exterminate them if they don't have the qualities that are valuable in our society without the foundation of understanding that we are made in the image of God. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. So in Jesus, our identity is not in our race or in our socioeconomic status or in our gender. It is that we are in Christ. And that gives me so much hope 
Because whether I am a person who is acceptable in our society or whether I'm confused about things or whether I have this status or that status, whatever it is, I have value and I am secure because I am a child of God. He created me. And I can value and love people for who they are because they're created in the image of God. That gives me hope. Secondly, in Christianity, God offers us salvation, of course, right? Salvation, the sin thing is real. I know it's real because I know myself and I know you and I see sin. We sin. And my creator says that sin separates me from God, but scripture always also tells me that if I humble myself, and I confess my sin, and you probably know confess is the Greek word homologio, which just means homo, same, logio, to say, to say the same. So when I confess my sin to God, all I'm doing is I'm saying the same about this that you say about this. So if you say it's pride, I'm gonna say it's pride. If you say it's dishonest, I'm gonna say it's dishonest, right? If you say it's rebellion, I'm gonna say it's rebellion. Whatever you say, I'm gonna say. And when I confess my sin, You know this, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When I just agree with God and go, you know what? You're right, that was wrong. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Instant, instant cleansing, instant forgiveness, instant new start. That's hope that there is no sin that God cannot instantly forgive. There's nothing in my past that somehow is gonna trip up God. That gives me hope. No matter what has happened or how I've messed up or if I've said something stupid or if I've done something I wish I hadn't done, there is hope because God offers me salvation and not only forgiveness, but also the, 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 the victory over the power of sin in my life, right? Scripture tells me, Romans, Romans 6, 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives so that I'm no longer a slave to sin. That's hope. That means if I have confessed my sin to God and I'm walking with him, then yeah, I'm still gonna struggle with sin, but I am gonna be increasingly victorious over it. So the world might tell us, yep, downhill from now, right? Okay, great, my body's gonna go downhill, this is gonna go downhill, my appearance is gonna go downhill, but you know what? My spiritual life, I'm just getting started, right? It's only gonna get better. I'm only gonna have more victory over anxiety and depression and discouragement and whatever other sin issues I have. It's only gonna get better because Jesus promises me in his word that he is going to increasingly set me free from the power of sin as I obey him and that gives me hope. And then third, of course, Christianity. In Christianity, God offers us eternal life. And aren't we grateful right now? That tells me that, you know, tomorrow there could be a different virus, right? I mean, we could conquer this one and it's like something new could come. And again, not to be like, I don't mean to be like the bad news girl, but I'm telling you, like in our home, we're just like, we need to be prepared, not just for this one thing. We wanna be prepared for the things. Right? I want to know that my hope is in Jesus. And then no matter what happens to me, I have the hope of eternal life. Right? Paul said that if our hope is only in this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else. Our hope is that Jesus said, even though he die, he will live. John uh, eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And so he gives us a fearlessness in the midst of a culture that is paralyzed by fear. Fearlessness. You know, just study my Bible, our, our church Bible study was last night and we were just looking at Jesus touching the leper. You know, we were talking about like, it was illegal to touch a leper. And he's just like, reaches right out and touches them, right? Such a picture, no fear. Just the authority over these things. So this is the foundation that Christianity gives us. Now, we know that we need hope and it's easy to talk about these things and go, yeah, I have hope. <laughs> and then I don't know about you, but I go home and it's like, this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. The next thing I'm like, I don't remember why I had hope, right? Like, it's just, we just get discouraged. 
Because thing after thing after thing comes with you. So I believe that we need robust hope. That's the word. I've been praying for our time for the last month. Like, what do we need? I keep hearing the word robust. We need robust hope. Now, what is robustness? I have a definition for you. Robustness is the property of being strong and healthy in constitution. I think that's up there. Do you have that definition up there? Robustness is the property of being strong and healthy in constitution. When it is transposed into a system, it refers to the ability of tolerating perturbations. I love this. Anybody need the ability to tolerate perturbations? Yeah. Yeah, I've been a little perturbed. That might affect the system's functional body. In the same line, robustness can be defined as the ability of a system to resist change without adapting its initial stable configuration, right? We need to be able to tolerate perturbations. We need to have a robust immune system. We need to have a robust hope right now. Now, how can I develop a robust hope? I wanna share, uh, I don't remember when I started. I'm not going too long. Five quick things, practical things that I believe help us. These are just some of the things I've been chewing on this last year. Five quick ways to develop our robust hope. I'm gonna state them negatively and then state them positively, okay? Negatively, the more tied I am to non-guaranteed things, the less robust my hope will be. The more tied I am to non-guaranteed, what are non-guaranteed things? What are the things in scripture that God guarantees? That he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will provide for us, that he will be with us to the very end, right? You list out all the promises of God. What are some of the things that he does not guarantee? that I'll be able to keep exactly the house that I live in right now, that my husband will always have the same job that he has right now, that my children will never get sick. I mean, right, those are some of the things that aren't necessarily guaranteed. And so the more tied I am to non-guaranteed things, the more fragile my hope is going to be. But conversely, the more that I cling to and focus on and hope for the promises of God, the more robust my hope will be. All right, when Jesus says, don't worry about these things, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink or what you'll put on, right? Don't worry about all of those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. He's saying, focus in on the kingdom and all of that stuff is gonna be taken care of. I will provide for you. Ephesians chapter one. I was reading this too this morning. Ephesians chapter one. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know, this is what he's praying for them to know, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? I need to fix my eyes on the inheritance that God has promised me. I don't know whether the physical inheritance of my parents or of this job or whatever else, I don't know if those things are gonna be certain, right? The whole, the whole stock market could crash tomorrow. Everything that is, you know, again, you guys are like, you're just full of bad news. We just don't know. But what are the things that are guaranteed that he's gonna take care of me, that he's with me, that he loves me? The more that I cling to those things, the more robust my hope will be. Number two, the more detailed my expectation painting is, the less robust my hope will be. Now, if you've read this, you know what I'm referring to. The expectation is, I talk a little bit in this about uh, the disappointment cycle. And uh, the disappointment cycle, which I have lived on, (laughs) and maybe you have too, where you feel like you're just in the midst of constant disappointment. I see the disappointment cycle like this. It usually stems from fear. Right? There's something that we don't know how it's gonna work out or we don't know how God's gonna come through. And because of fear, 
we paint ourselves an expectation picture because when we look into the future and we can't quite see what's gonna happen, it's too scary to stare into the darkness. And so what do we do? We paint ourselves a picture. It's gonna happen like this, right? And then we fix our eyes on that picture. Oh, that's what's gonna happen. And the hard thing is that disappointment then leads to more fear. And so then what do we do? Uh, Paint another picture, right? I don't know if you've ever done this. Like, well, that didn't happen. So this is how it's gonna happen. You know, oh, I just, I got the colors wrong on that side. Yeah, now another picture. And then it gets torn down and we get disappointed. And then we paint another picture and then it gets torn down and we get disappointed. And the more detailed I have my painting of this is how it's going to happen, the more fragile my hope will be. On the other hand, the fulfillment cycle is based out of faith. And of course, faith forward facing is called hope. And so faith says, I have no idea how this is gonna work out. I actually can't see into the future and it looks really, really, really dark right now, but I'm gonna resist the urge to paint myself a picture. And instead I am going to stare through the darkness into the face of God. And I'm gonna fix my eyes on the character of God, that he is good, that he is faithful, that he is omnipotent, that he is omniscient, that he is omnipresent. I'm gonna fix my eyes on God. And even though it's a little bit scary that I can't see any of the details and it just looks like darkness, I'm gonna fix my eyes on God. And what happens in that is that God does bring fulfillment. He does bring his promises to come to pass. He always makes good on his promises. They may not happen exactly the way my expectation painting has them laid out, but he always makes good on what he says. So the more detailed my expectation painting, the more fragile my hope is gonna be, the less robust my hope is gonna be. But conversely, the good news is the more that I fearlessly stare into the blank and I fix my attention on the character of God, the more robust my hope will be. I don't know what next year is gonna hold. I don't know what next week is gonna hold, but I know who God is and you do too. You've seen him, you know him, you know what the word says. Number three, the more feelings driven I am, the less robust my hope will be. Now, is there anything wrong with feelings? Feelings aren't bad, emotions aren't bad. Please don't hear me say that emotions are bad. However, they were never meant to control us, right? They make good messengers, they don't make good dictators. And I think again, the same way that we're sort of swimming in the waters of cynicism, I think we're swimming in the waters of a culture that says in order to be authentic, it means we need to act out of how we feel, right? So to deny ourselves feeling our feelings is seen as like a form of injustice against oneself. Paul uh, Miller writes, he has this great book, A Praying Life. Let's see if I remember to write down this quote. I may not have. Maybe I brought it. Oh yeah, I did. It's right here. Um, he has this great quote. He says, modern psychology immobiles us. Emotional states are sacred. If I'm grumpy, I have a right to feel that way and express my feelings. Everyone around me simply has to get over it. One of the worst sins, according to pop psychology, is to suppress our emotions. Now, again, I'm not talking about suppressing emotions in that we never feel them, but where is the appropriate place to express our emotions? With God, right? He's the only one that can take the spewing of how I feel without being poisoned. If I spew them onto my husband, he's poisoned. If I spew them onto my children, they're crushed. If I spew them onto my friend, now she's feeling the same. If I spew them onto God, that is where I'm supposed to take them. But it is a freeing, I remember, I think it was January, 2019, we were doing a fast as a church and it was, I mean, this seems kind of basic now, but it, I remember this revelation of like, I don't have to live based on how I feel. Like, I could be up all night with a crying baby and I could be really tired and I actually don't have to be grumpy. Right? Like I can actually don't, I don't have to obey how I feel. And what's weird about it is it feels like, well, I deserve to do that. 
Like if I have a bad day, I deserve to be grumpy. If I'm really tired, I deserve to act like this. I deserve to have everyone else serve me if I'm tired or grumpy, but it doesn't actually make us feel better, right? We believe that somehow indulging in our feelings is gonna make us feel better, but it doesn't. The truth is that I can take my emotions to Jesus and say, I feel this way, this way, this way, this way. Tell me what you want me to do. And then I can go, self? Sorry, but Jesus told me to get up and go cheerfully serve my family. So get in line. We can do that in Christ. And so the more feelings driven I am, the more fragile my hope is going to be. But conversely, the good news is the more that I learn to speak to my soul, the more that I learn to tell myself, self, I hear you. I know you're tired. I know you're afraid. I know you're grumpy, but we're going to put on our big girl panties today, right? And we're going to move forward and we are going to serve and love the people in our lives. And I'm going to continue to have hope. Even though my emotions aren't with me right now, they will fall in line. We will have a robust hope the more I learn to speak to my soul. That just comes from Psalm 42, right? Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Hope in God. Put your hope in God. Number four, the more I scroll and click, you guys know this, right? The less robust my hope will be. I mean, it's just, well, <laughs> and I don't mean, this isn't just ranting against the evils of social media. I mean, I'm on social media too, but specifically, I believe that we as limited humans were not meant to constantly be aware of everything that is going on worldwide. That just isn't, we don't have the, the capacity for that. And so when we take in the enormity of the world's problems, my conviction is we are taking on more than God created us to take on. He is the only one that has the capacity to look at the entire world and handle the weight of the brokenness and the sorrow. Now, does this mean that we just go, oh, nope, never. It's just me and my little world, that's all. No, but when I take in consistently, when I take in all the stuff of the world, I notice that my hope becomes more fragile. But conversely, the good news, the more that I engage in the abiding presence of God at work right in front of me, the more robust my hope is. I found over and over and over this last, you know, 20 months, it was like I would read things online and it makes it sound like just the whole world is going up in flames, right? And yet when I would talk to people, I was constantly hearing testimonies of like all the good things that God was doing. Anybody else feel like that? It was like, I kept seeing like, oh man, the Lord's moving there and he provided for you there and protected you there. Wow, it's just awesome. When we're at that 30,000 foot level, we can't see those things. And I, I don't think we were meant to look from that level. But when we stay engaged with the people right in front of us, we see the work of God. Similarly, it is so easy to hate those people who we only see portrayed a certain way through the news or social media, right? And that, I mean, that's also the waters we're swimming in right now. And yet I'm always surprised that when I meet those people in person, I really like them. What, wherever their stance is, when I meet them in person, I really like them. I see the goodness of God in them. I understand their viewpoint. Even if I don't agree with them, I can totally see where they're coming from. One of the things, this is kind of a side note, I don't want to rabbit trail, but one of the things that I was really challenged with this last year was I wanted to ask, and there's so many polarizing issues right now, right? I wanted to hear from people who I love, who are on extreme perspectives on different issues. And I wanted to hear from their own mouth, tell me why you believe the way you do. Tell me why you've landed where you do. Rather than just going, you know, oh, those people are blah, 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 blah. And it was so helpful to actually hear firsthand, tell me why you think that. Tell me why you suspect that. Tell me why you believe in that. Tell, to hear the different perspectives and being to weigh through that and to be a learner. But it's hard to do that when we're only looking from the 30,000 foot view. But up close, 
we can see the goodness of God and the work of God. And quite frankly, keeping track of the whole world isn't my business. It's not my business, it's God's business. And I need to be about the things that he has given me to do right in front of me. And then the last thing, number five, we'll finish here. The more that I skip my time in the scriptures, right? And you knew, you knew this would come. You knew the lady up front would go, read your Bibles. Uh, because I always say that, right? You've heard me talk 10 times. You've heard me say that 10 times. But it's true. The more that I skip my time in the scriptures, the less robust my hope will be. And the good news is the more I feast on God's word, the more robust my hope will be. And scripture tells us this straight up. Romans 15, four says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If I am not, I mean, this is like filling up the tank every day. I need fresh hope every day. And the word of God is our sure fire. I mean, all of these things, really, I could have just summed up all of these in just number five, right? But like, that wouldn't have been as fun. How do I get tied to the promises of God? Through his word, right? How do I stare into the face of God and keep my eyes fixed on him? Through his word. How do I not be feelings driven, but how do I be conviction driven and faith driven? The word of God. Right? How do I focus in and see the good right in front of me? It's informed by the word of God. Having the encouragement of the scriptures every single day. John Piper says, hope is like a reservoir of emotional strength. I love that. It's like filling up this reservoir. We live way out in the country and so our power goes out all the time. And when you're on a well, you know, when your power goes out, you don't have water which is kind of a key thing, right? And so we have this old hot tub that's broken and we just keep it full of cold water, right? I mean, it's kind of an eyesore, but we just keep it full. Why? Because water is really important to us. So when we didn't have power for eight days last year, and if you don't flush toilets for eight, I mean, don't even get me started on how hard it is without water, right? So you need water. We fill up that reservoir, Right? If we know a storm is coming, we make sure that with the old hot tub is full of water. Right? We need that with our hope. Similarly, to be robust. I was thinking about having a robust immune system. I don't know about you, but this pandemic has made me way more diligent about being healthy. Because right? again, not to be the bearer of bad news, but it's like, it could be a different virus tomorrow. It could be something different And so how can I build up my, I've I've been way more diligent at taking my vitamins every single day, right? And drinking my water every day and making sure that I get sleep every night and limiting sugar, right? All of those things that we know boost our immune system. I've even, I was laughing at myself. I've been like way better about flossing my teeth. It's like the silliest things. I'm like, I'm going to do everything I know to do to take care of my immune system because it's important because there's a lot going on out there. Similarly, it's the same with our hope. I know that I need to have a robust hope in order to be immune to all of the cynicism and despair and bitterness and strife and hopelessness that is out there. And so what can I do to strengthen and bolster my hope? We fill up that reservoir of emotional strength. And God tells us in Romans 15, 13, This is my prayer for us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, remember the joy set before you, and peace in believing, there's the faith, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Right, that is my prayer for us. And we're gonna have some time to talk. I'm gonna put some discussion questions up there for us to discuss at the table and just be honest with one another. What are the cares on our shoulders? Where am I struggling to have hope? Where do I need prayer? Where do I need to have joy set before me so that I can run the race that is marked out for me? Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for these women and I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you have called us to live in these days. I thank you that none of this catches you off guard Thank you that you're not flustered. 
Lord, we just pray, God, I pray this morning that for myself and for every one of my sisters here and for our brother in the back as well, God, that you would fill us with fresh hope. I pray whatever weights or cares are weighing on us, God, that you would even just speak to us. Even right now, Lord, you say by, your, by the Holy Spirit that you would give us hope. We just invite your spirit right now to speak to us. just struck by the realizing the world is starving for hope and I pray that you would make us women who have so much hope that we actually have hope to hand out we have hope to disperse that we would your word says that we would always have an answer to give to anyone who asks us about our hope that that would be the thing that would cause people to go Can you tell me more about your life? I pray that we would have opportunities for evangelism, for sharing the gospel, simply because we are such women of hope that we stand out against the black, dark background of the world. I pray that it wouldn't be a forced, fake, pretend hope, but it would be a deep, robust, rooted hope, God. I pray that it would set us apart, that that would be the distinguishing characteristic of our lives. I pray that you would help us to encourage each other right now as we discuss, as we listen to each other, help us to be good listeners. Help us to care deeply for each other. Show us how to pray for each other. Lord, you're the only one that can give us true hope. I pray that every single one of us, just as I've been praying, that every single one of us in this room would leave today with a deeper, more stable, truer, stronger hope, God. In Jesus' name, amen.